Good morning. Welcome to the New Franklin Assembly podcast. Our church is located at 2355 New Franklin Road, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, 17202. Today, Pastor James will be continuing his new sermon series entitled Season of Sewing. Today's sermon title is The Business at Hand. been enjoying this you know this uh, sermon series again it was just this is the second week season of sowing um, is what we're calling this sermon series but it's not just a, a, a sermon series I really feel like it's what God would have us to focus on this year that this would be our theme for this year season of sowing uh, and I believe God has asked us to really uh, look at that closely this year and see where and what we can sow into. First uh, Corinthians chapter uh, three verse eight says this: "The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor." This basically tells us that when we sow, we must sow with a specific purpose in mind. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Those who have been given a trust, those who have been given a seed, those who have been given something from the Lord must prove faithful. The ch- this church has always, I said this last week, I'll say it again, this church has always been a giving church. Um, the concept of sowing is not new to any of you. I, I, I know that. Um, many here are faithful in giving. But I feel that God would have us to consider this year where we sow and what we sow and even in whom or for whom do we sow. I believe God is asking us to sow in areas that perhaps we have never sowed in before. I believe God is asking us to sow in ways that perhaps we have never sowed in before. Uh, and again, we'll get maybe more specific about that as we, in the business meeting and as we move forward this year, as we spend time praying as well. But until then, again, last week we started looking at some of the scriptures to see what God would teach us about seasons of sowing. So I want to be I want to turn to the book of Luke once again. Last week we were in the book of Luke. But today I want us to turn to the book of Luke chapter 19. And I want us to read verses 11 through 27. It's another parable that Jesus gives. I want to start in verse 11. Again, Luke chapter 19, it says this. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he, was, uh, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to uh, appear at once. So Jesus said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants, and he gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subject hated him. His subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, "We don't want this man to be our king." He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to be 
Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, Well, then you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a, uh, in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His, his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am, not, I'm, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that, I came, so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more, more will be given. But as far as the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Well, what a way to end a story. <laughs> Again, before we get started, let me just remind you a little bit about what a parable is. Parables are not true stories. They didn't really happen. They're stories that Jesus told, uh, or people in that day told. Uh, again, they didn't really happen. They're stories that teach a spiritual truth, they are stories that are very relatable to those listening to them. They have the feeling of being true. Uh, they have the feeling of being true, or at least uh, possibly being true. Uh, and they are even sometimes based on a true story. But they are, again, not true stories. They are made-up stories. This particular parable, the parable of the minas, or in the King James Version it says the parable of the pounds, uh, is based on a true story. Herod the Great was a man who ruled over the Jews when Jesus was born. Remember the Christmas story? It was Herod uh, that was king, king of the Jews. Caesar Augustus was ruler of Rome and most of the civilized world back then. And he appointed Herod to be ruler of the Jews. Uh, he gave him the title king of the Jews. When the wise men came, remember the story, you know, the Christmas story, the wise men came out of their tradition of, of seeing a star in the east, saying, oh, that, that means that a king is born. So they go to Jerusalem, and they go to Herod to ask him, where is this baby boy born king of the Jews? Well, Herod is threatened by that. He is king of the Jews, and he know he, had, he didn't have a son. Uh, well, he does have a son, but he said he didn't have a baby born at that point. So again, we all know the story. And so, you know, he feels threatened and he has all the baby boys born two years old and under slaughtered. Well, Herod ends up dying 
approximately four years after Jesus is born. And he leaves his fortune, and he leaves his authority as ruler of the Jews, as king of the Jews, he leaves it to his son, Archelaus. Uh, we'll call him Archie. All right, a little easier. Archelaus, Archelaus, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. We'll call him Archie. So Herod has a son. Son's name is Archie, and he dies, and he leaves Archie his throne. So Archie begins to rule over the Jews as king. The only problem is he has to go to Rome to get that certified by Caesar Augustus because it's not official until Caesar approves it. The Jews, they don't want Archie to become the next ruler or king of the Jews. They don't like Archie. They, they hated his father. His father was a brutal dictator that slaughtered their kids. And they weren't too keen on Archie becoming king. So what do they do? They send a delegation of 50 Jews to Rome to argue their case before Caesar Augustus. And so Archie leaves Jerusalem, goes to Rome, and he comes back having been made ruler of the Jews. Caesar does ratify Archie's inheritance as ruler of the Jews, even though these 50 Jews went and argued against it. The only difference was Caesar did not give Archie the title king of the Jews. I guess that was, their, that was his compromise uh, because these 50 Jews went and argued against it. So again, when Jesus starts off this parable, the way he does in verse 12, and he says, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Well, that sounded familiar to the people hearing this story. Everyone hearing him instantly paid attention because they, they knew what he was talking about, what he was referring to. They knew exactly what he was referring to. And when Jesus further says in verse 14, <coughs> when Jesus further says in verse 14, but his subjects hated him, and he sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Well, again, it's a direct reference to years ago when Herod gave his throne to Archie, and Archie had to go to Jerusalem, uh, Archie had to go to Rome to get that certified, and he came back officially now as ruler of the Jews. So when Jesus told this story, people automatically kind of knew what he was talking about. Their reaction uh, is one, okay, yeah, we kind of know what's going on. Well, when we, when we read this parable today, we get the same kind of reaction. We don't picture Herod and, and Archie, no. But we do picture Jesus going back to God the Father. We instantly picture Jesus one day coming back to rule and reign over this earth. We know what it's, he's talking about. We picture how the sinful world hates Jesus and everything about Jesus. And so, yeah, we can relate to this, too, because we know Jesus left and he's going to come back again and rule the earth. Every knee and every, every, tongue will every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is king. We wait for that day. It's not yet upon us. But what we fail, so we, we relate to the story in that way, but what we fail sometimes 
to see. And, and, and what we fail to see sometimes in how, is, is how we relate to the servants in this story. And this is what I want to look at today. So now, the parable, again, this parable is very reminiscent of another parable that Jesus taught. I'm just going to kind of set the stage. I'm going to take my time setting the stage, and then we'll get into the parable. But this parable that we read in Luke is very reminiscent of another parable that Jesus taught, recorded it in Matthew chapter 25. And it's a better-known parable. Most people know uh, of the parable in Matthew 25. It's called the parable of the talents. At first glance, you would think it's the same story, that Luke recorded it just a different way than Matthew did. But they're two different stories, two different parables. Uh, The parable of the the talents in Matthew 25 is given after Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the Passover, if you look at the, the chronological events of what took place. The parable of the minas that we read in Luke 19 That took place before Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the Passover. So they were two different stories that he was telling. Uh, And according to Luke's gospel, this parable that we read was given while he was still in Zacchaeus' home, the tax collector. He went to Zacchaeus' home. Remember, Zacchaeus was the small little guy that climbed the tree, right? And he says, come down, Zacchaeus. I'm going to go to your house for dinner tonight. Well, Jesus tells this parable while he is with Zacchaeus. Matthew chapter 25, parable of the talents, in verse 14, starts off by saying this, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. So it starts off very, very similar. Matthew chapter 25, verse 19 says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Again, so it's very familiar. It, it, it looks, Jesus is telling a parable that, that in a sense, very reminiscent of the parable of the miners that he, to, uh, that he told. Again, it's possibly based on the same story, this true story of Archie. It certainly captures the pe- people's attention the way, it, uh, the way, because of it. And it captures our attention because we know that Jesus will one day return and settle accounts with all of us, his servants. But there are differences in the two parables that, if we look at, will help us discover what Jesus really is trying to teach us in each of those parables, especially the one that we read today, the parable of the ten minors. You see, the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, in that parable, the master gives one servant five talents, and he gives another servant two talents, and then he gives another servant one talent. In the parable of the minas, it's different, the one we read in Luke. He gives ten servants exactly the same amount of money, ten minas. And in both parables, the servants are asked then to put the money to work. Now, the servants in the parable of the talents, that the one in Matthew 25, the one we didn't really read. The servants in that parable, they are each given a different amount of money, but they all receive the same reward. You see, again, the parable, he gives one servant five talents, one servant uh, a, 
what was it? It was a, uh, five talents, two talents, and one talent. So they're different amounts of money. But if you read the story, they're all given exactly the same reward when the master comes back. Well, the servant of the miners, the, the parable of the, of the miners, those servants, they all received the exact same amount of money. But their reward was different according to how they worked it. Why is this distinction important? Well, because the talents and the minas were representing two different things. The talents in Matthew 25 represent different gifts and talents and abilities that, that God gives, gives to each one of his servants. Some are given more and some are given less. We all have different gifts talents and abilities. We all have different levels of gifts, talents, and abilities. Jesus is trying to teach us through this parable that it's not in how much you have, and it's not even in how much you gain, it's in how faithful you are with what has been given to you. Our reward, which is heaven, is not based on the gifts we have, or on the amount of gifts that we gain. It's based on our faithfulness as his servants. And that's the, the, the moral of the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. It's remaining faithful with what God has given to you. Well, the minas in Luke chapter 19 represents something that God gives an equal measure of to all of his servants. So what he gives you is also exactly the same as he has given me. We each and every one of us have been given the exact same amount of, of, of the minas. What does the mina represent? I believe the minas represents the message of the gospel and the mission of the gospel. As God's servants, Though we all have different gifts and talents and abilities, some have more, some have less, we all have been given the same message of the gospel. We all have been given the same mission of the gospel. Jesus is trying to teach us that though our gifts and the talents and abilities are different in each and every one of us, our job is exactly the same. Difference between message and mission. Jesus gives us, throughout his teachings, a message. And he gives us, throughout his teachings, a, 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 our mission. His message is summed up in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his own, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him and is not condemned, uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This basically summarizes God's message, the message of the gospel, for God so loved the world. But Jesus also gives us, in a nutshell, a mission to do. That nutshell verse is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the earth. And so that was the mission that he gives each and every one of us. We are all given the great commission or mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are all given the exact same message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though faithfulness is encouraged in both of these parables, the rewards mentioned in each of the parables are different. If we are faithful to his message, our reward is exactly the same. Heaven. If we are faithful in the message of the gospel, for God so loved the world, then our reward is exactly the same. It's heaven. If we are faithful to his mission, our reward, according to Luke 19, is more responsibility based on how effective we have been in fulfilling his mission. So now that's why I want to start looking at in this parable. In Luke 19, again, let me read it, verses 15 through 19, it says this, in the parable of the minas, it says, Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came, remember, they were all given the same amount of money. The first one came, Sir, your mina has now earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in the same in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Again, both of these servants were given the same amount of minas. One was able to earn ten, and one was able to earn five more. Still a good return. Here is what I believe I see in all of this. Remaining faithful to Christ's message will bring us the reward of heaven. Remaining faithful to Christ's mission will determine what we do there. Let me say that again and then I'll explain. Remaining faithful to Christ's message will get us to heaven. That's our reward. But remaining faithful to his mission will determine what we do there. Do you really think eternity is going to get boring? I think there's going to be a lot for us to do. The reward for remaining faithful to God's work will be more work. The servant earning 10 minas was given 10 cities. The servant earning five minas were given five cities. But now what about the servant who didn't earn anything? He just kind of took what he was given and held on to it. He didn't want to lose any of it, so he just kind of held on it. Well, let's read it again. Verses, Luke 19, verses 20 and 23. It says, Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you, because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, Then I will judge you by your own works. Oh, by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, didn't you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I come back I could have collected interest? 
And then in verse 24, it says, Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Again, sir, they said, he has already ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. There is a distinction in this parable between the last servant who didn't earn anything and the citizens that hated the master. Remember, he gave minus to his servants, but his servants were not necessarily the citizens that hated him. The last servant, though his mina was taken away from him, that servant was not among the citizens that were put to death. The suggestion here is that he lived within the kingdom, only he had remained a servant and not a ruler. The other servants became rulers because they were faithful in the mission. What happens after the rapture of the church? We were talking, we started getting a little into this this past Wednesday. You see, what happens after the rapture of the church? Well, we believe that the world will go through seven years of great tribulation. And then at the end of this seven-year tribulation, Jesus will come back to earth, defeat the Antichrist, bind up Satan, and will establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. We call this the millennial reign of Jesus, where he will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. No more elections, no more government politics. You see, we all look forward to that day, those thousand years. <laughs> we, again, we call this the millennial reign of Christ. What will we be doing What will you and I be doing during this millennial reign with Christ? I would love to just camp somewhere outside in Florida, a condo, Florida condo outside. A thousand years on a Florida beach would be perfect for me. That would be an awesome 1,000 years. But something tells me God is going to have work for me to do. I pray it's in Florida. This is the time of year I really pray. You know, I really look forward to, to vacation in Florida. And 70 degrees, right? You guys are going to enjoy that next week. 70, 80 degrees? Oh, yeah. And then the summer comes and I wish for the colder weather. So. <laughs> a thousand years. What are we going to be doing for those thousand years? We're going to be ruling with Christ. What does that mean? The parable of the minas kind of gives us a clue. I believe our faithfulness to his mission, while the master is still away, will determine our responsibility someday when Christ rules the earth. Where will we land at that time? Will we be like the one earning ten minas and receiving ten cities? Or will we be like the one earning five minas and receiving five cities? Or will we be like the one holding on to what we have been given, afraid of losing it, afraid of using it, afraid of doing what we know we should be doing with it? Well, first, let me pause here. First, 
I trust everyone here has accepted the message of Jesus Christ. I trust, I pray, that everyone here has made a conscious decision to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I trust everyone here is being faithful to the message of Jesus Christ. And if you're not, then I don't want to go further in this message until I know and give you opportunity to make that decision. To be honest, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Because if there's someone here who has not accepted the message of Christ, well then it's, you're wasting your time with the mission of Christ. Jesus says, on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we lay hands on your name? And didn't we, we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? They served the mission of Christ without ever accepting the message of Christ. And so now with all, every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here and you want to accept the message, you want to make, perhaps for the very first time in your life, a conscious decision to accept the message of Jesus Christ. What is the message of Jesus Christ? that he died for our sins. He died so that we won't have to experience what these citizens experienced, death. And Lord, I pray now that you would forgive us of our sins. I pray now, Lord, that if there's someone here who has not accepted you as personal Lord and Savior, they've not accepted you and not made a conscious decision to repent before you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as every eye is closed and every head is bowed, that they would take just a moment right now to ask you into their hearts We ask that you would forgive our sins, wash us clean. We ask for your salvation to come upon our lives. Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you want to know more about the message of Christ, making a consciousness, if you're here and you don't really know what I'm talking about, well then, would you see me afterwards? I would love to talk to you more about the message of Jesus Christ and how we are all called to accept and live this message. So now, getting back to now, the mission of Jesus. The mission of it. What does the parable of the minas teach us about being faithful to the mission of Christ? Again, the title to this sermon series is Season of Sowing. The title to today's message is The Business at Hand. The business at hand. What is the business at hand for us, according to this parable? What are we called to do until Christ's return? Well, the very first verse in that parable says this, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. 
So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said. That is our mission, to work until he comes. The King James Version uses the word occupy until he comes, which is a good word. I don't know that it completely uh, 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 conveys uh, what, all of the, what Christ is trying to, to teach us. The word occupy suggests that we stay busy for the Lord until he comes again. And although this is true, I believe there's more to it than that. According to the parable of the minas, our task or our business at hand is not just to stay busy for the kingdom. It is to bring increase to the kingdom. That's what this parable is about. It's not just staying busy until the Lord comes, until the Master comes. It's about bringing increase to his kingdom. I think there may be more people than we realize. I think there might be more churches than we realize that are busy for the Lord, but are not necessarily bringing increase to his kingdom. First, you know what, we need to realize that busyness for the Lord is not necessarily faithfulness to the Lord. We can be busy for the Lord and still not be faithful to the Lord. We can be busy for the Lord and at the same time not be pleasing to Him. Secondly, we need to realize that the parable of the minas is not just a parable about faithfulness, faithfulness to His mission. It is, but there's more to it. It's also a parable about, a parable about effectiveness. How effective are we at bringing increase to his money, uh, to his kingdom? The, the servants were asked to put his money to work. It was very clear. Bring increase. I'm giving you ten minas. I want to see more than that when I come back. As I was reading and studying this this week, I couldn't help but remember the early days of, of, uh, of my ministry when I first got out of Bible college, first started becoming a bivocational pastor. And these were the days before I became a maintenance guy and, and landed in, in that trade. I became a salesman, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, I became a salesman selling high-quality, fast-frozen meat door-to-door. Kind of like Schwann's, but it was, it was different. It was Horizon Foods. We're in the area today, tip the cap, you know, and we just want to know if you want, you know. Anyway, I had my whole spiel. I drove a truck with a, with, with a, for a, a cooler, a, a freezer, back, you know, in the back. And I would knock on doors to see if they would like to buy a box of chicken or, or steaks or burgers, lemon chicken, prepared foods, that kind of thing. And... To be honest, I became pretty good at it. My first day, I remember selling 13 boxes, which landed me a profit that day of almost $300. And I'm thinking, okay, I can do this. Let's see, I was looking forward to the next day. And then the next day I realized uh, it's not that easy to sell 13 boxes a day. You see. You see, in sales, I was taught that it's all about the numbers. You have to knock on 100 doors before you find that one that will listen to you. And so I was busy knocking on doors. But then you know what? I found out that it's not just about knocking on doors. When that one door finally listens to you, you gotta be effective in selling the product. Otherwise you gotta knock on a hundred more doors just to get another door to open. 
And so you want to take advantage of that one person who's given you the time of day. You better be good at it. See, it wasn't just about being busy. It was about being effective. In reading about this servant, the servants in this parable, I couldn't help but remember some of those old salesmanship lessons that I learned, and I kind of saw them in the text. See, when I was a salesman, we, we gathered at the shop, at the, at the, the you know, the, 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 yeah, the shop every morning, and before there was maybe about 10 salesmen, 10 different trucks, and before we'd go out, we'd role play, we'd practice. One salesman would play the homeowner, and one salesman would play the, the salesman, and, and we practiced our spiel. We practice what we would say and how we would say it. And, and you know, when, when people says, oh, no, I'm, my wife is not here and, and, you know, maybe come back. Well, what do you do? You accept that or you just kind of find a way around that? You find a way around that. And we, we practiced becoming better, more effective. Well, in reading this parable, I was reminded, I w- I was reminded of some of those lessons that I learned that, in a sense, I want to share with you. Some of the, those lessons that I, I learned I see in this text. So point number one is this. As we go about God's business, or as we occupy, point number one is this. We must continually create opportunities. We must continually create opportunities. In this season of sowing, I believe God is asking us as a church to continually create opportunities to increase or advance God's kingdom. It's interesting to me that all ten servants were given the same amount of money. But they all didn't get the same return. You see, this parable only gives us a report on three of those ten, but they were all given the same amount of money. They were all given the same potential. Last week we spoke about that word, potential. That the real value of a church is not in what it has done. The real value of a church is in what it still has yet to do. It's potential. All of these servants were given the same potential, yet they all earned different returns. One servant earned ten minas. Another servant earned five minas. And one servant simply held on to what he was given. This tells me, that one servant perhaps knocked on more doors. Tells me that one servant perhaps role-played and practiced more. Tells me that one servant perhaps found ways to be more effective in what he was doing. But it tells me that at the very least he was better at creating more opportunities. He made sure He didn't have to knock on 99 doors to get to that 100, you see. I think in Christianity, we tend to wait for opportunities to come to us to minister rather than create opportunities to minister. And to be honest, I'm not sure that's the best approach. I remember out in the workforce, many years I worked in the workforce, and I I would witness a lot. There were a lot of opportunities I had to witness to coworkers, to tenants that I, you know, I got to know, to subcontractors that I worked with a lot. Many times those opportunities simply presented themselves. But I can tell you that more often than not, I had to create the opportunity to share Jesus. 
I had to start the conversation. I had to ask a question. I, had a, I looked for an opening in the conversation to talk about Jesus. I actually became quite good at it, you see, though not as good as my friend Pastor Will. Many of you heard me have, uh, many of you have heard me talk about Pastor Will before. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but he has left a lasting impact, lasting impression on my life. He was great at creating opportunities. He'd come to you and say, hey, how's it going? Which you would respond, oh, I'm good. How are you? And then Pastor Will would go, well, what's good about it? Oh, I, I just was saying, hi, I don't know what's good about it. I had to come up with a way to, okay, what's good about the day? You see, he created an opportunity for conversation. He was really good at it. Now, I'm not just talking about evangelism here. Do you remember after the shutdown, uh, this past spring and summer, we slowly opened? We didn't open up everything. We didn't go back to, 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 you know, to, to a normal routine, which was because of caution. We were being cautious. Kids all across this community had been shut in for over three months. Parents were one sibling fight away from the loony bin, right? They were just home too much. We decided not to open up normally. We changed things up a bit. We moved our VBS week. We shortened it. We brought in a children's evangelist. It was different. We didn't know how it was going to play out. Then we moved the slip and slide night back two weeks, and we changed it up. We made it a community waterworks day instead of just our normal slip and slide. And we really promoted it in our, in our community. And that waterworks day was one week before our Royal Rangers and Missionettes came back. And so we created opportunity by changing things up a bit. And we built momentum. Those that came to VBS were invited back two weeks later for community waterworks day. And those who came to Water Works Day, they were invited, hey, if you come back next week, we have our boys program, we have a girls program. We created opportunity where there had not been opportunity before. And you know what happened? You see, Dick, how many boys were in, in Royal Rangers this past Sunday? 20. 20 boys, and we were missing some of our regulars. And Shelly will tell you, they're averaging 15 to 20 girls. You see, there were five new families that started coming on Wednesday nights right off the bat because we created opportunity. We changed things up a bit to create opportunity. In this season of sowing, I believe God is going to ask us to do more of the same. Create opportunities. Point number two, again, as we occupy until Christ's return, we must continually create opportunity we must constantly connect with people. We must constantly connect with people. Think about the third servant for a moment in that parable. The third servant comes up to the master and tells him that he was afraid of losing what he had. And so he hides, hides it, he hid it away. To which the master said, you should have at least put it in the bank to gain interest. This tells me a little bit about the other two servants tells me that the other two servants did more than just put the money in a bank to gain interest. This tells me they dealt and invested in people, not institutions. 
They didn't have the stock markets or institutions back then. If they were going to earn money, they had to deal with people. And in sales, it's all about the connections you make with people. People will give you referrals. People will give you repeat business. There was one salesman that trained me in this, this Horizon Foods when I worked there. He, he was working the business a long time, so he didn't have to go cold call, knock on doors anymore. He had enough repeat business that he had created for himself residual income. One box of burgers would last three months. At the end of the three months, they called him again for another box of burgers or steaks, you know, or things like that. So he had created residual income, and that was awesome, you see. He was driving a really nice car, you know. But that would not have been possible had he not taken time to invest in his customers, to get to know them, their wants, their likes, their wish, and get, he just invested in them, and they rewarded him with repeat business. We must not only continually create opportunity, we must constantly connect with people if we're going to occupy, if we're going to stay busy for the Lord and increase his kingdom. Our Wednesday night, again, has now more than five new families on a regular basis. This is a wonderful testimony, but is that enough? Just having them drop off their kids on, you know, on, on Wednesday, is that enough? No. We now need to connect with those parents on a deeper level. We now need to connect with those families, you see, on a deeper level. As we enter into the season of sowing, we must not only continually create opportunity, we must constantly connect with people. And finally, point number three, we must constructively generate increase. I hope you appreciate the, my outlines. They take a long time to come up with the rhyme time stuff. You know, this one was pretty, pretty this, this took a long time, this one. You see, I just had to know, I'm just putting it out there. We must continually create opportunity. We must constantly connect with people. And we must constructively generate increase. Again, looking at that third servant, we see that he held on to what he was given. Have you ever wondered why he held on? Think about it. Why would this man not, at the very least, put the money in the bank to gain interest? Well, we know the excuse that he gave. You see, he was afraid of losing it, and this guy would be upset. This master, he was a hard man, he was a hard boss, and we know the excuse that he gave, but I don't really believe that's the truth. Let's remember the context of this parable. The master had gone away for a while to have his kingship approved and ratified. But before he leaves, he gives money to his servants and says, put it to work. But then we read about how the citizens of that kingdom, they hated this master. They didn't like him very much. Well, these servants then were being asked to put this guy's money to work <coughs> in the kingdom and among people that didn't like the master. Life probably would have become very difficult for them and their families had these people, the citizens, found out that they were working for this man. You see, 
Yeah. You're working for him? I don't want to do business with you. Maybe they would have faced a cancel culture. Maybe even their pillow business would have been boycotted. Why did this third servant hide his money? Why didn't he do anything with it? It was because he was afraid to do business in a culture that was increasingly hostile to the king. Let's fast forward to today's, to to today. In a culture that is increasingly hostile to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we are asked to occupy until he comes. We are asked to bring increase to the kingdom. We are asked to do more than just stay busy, for the, uh, stay busy with church things. We are asked to not only be faithful to his message, but we are asked to be faithful and effective in his mission. We're not going to be effective today by doing what we did yesterday because today's culture is different. It's increasingly hostile. We're not going to win souls today the way we won souls 10 years ago, 20 years ago. This parable is about being effective for the kingdom, about bringing increase. And so we must work what we have been given to bring increase. We must learn constantly how to be better at bringing increase. Again, the business at hand for us as until Christ returns is that we need to continually create opportunities. And that changes what brought again, what brought opportunity and open doors a year ago even, two years ago is going to be different. Those doors won't open today because the culture is changing. It's becoming more hostile. We need to continually create opportunities. We must constantly connect with people, and we must constructively generate increase. Advance God's kingdom is basically what I'm saying. These are the things that we must keep in mind as we move forward this year in our season of sowing. As we evaluate the effectiveness of what we have been doing, as we plan the things that we should be doing or we want to do moving forward, as we stay focused on the business at hand, then I believe we'll be like the first servant who earned a maximum return for his work. I believe we will be very busy during the millennial reign of Christ. Maybe it'll include a condo in Florida, I don't know. But I look out at people who are, have been very faithful to his message and to his mission. But that doesn't mean we, can't, we, we, that doesn't mean we can just relax now. You see, we work until he comes. We need to evaluate. We need to change things up so that we're constantly bringing increase and not living off of yesterday's income, yesterday's 
increase. And so the parable of the minas continually create opportunity, constantly connect with people, and constructively generate increase. These are some of the things we'll look at or keep in mind when we enter and as we move forward in this season of sowing. Amen. Well, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word that's always rich and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord God, I thank you that it applies to us, Lord God, that people were reading that same parable for thousands of years, Lord God, and yet we can read it today and we can see ourselves right, right in that parable. Lord God, I know that in this culture is increasingly becoming increasingly hostile to you and your ways. But yet, our mission remains the same. Lord, it's becoming harder and harder to create opportunities. But yet, that's what you've called us to do. It's becoming more difficult to connect with people in a virtual world. But yet, that's what you've called us to do. Lord, it's becoming harder and harder to bring increase, to see souls saved, lives touched, growing stronger in your word and in your ways, but yet that's what you've called us to do. So Lord, may we here decide to occupy, to stay busy, to stay effective. May we, may we welcome new techniques, new principles, new ideas and new thoughts so that we may bring increase to you, your kingdom. I thank you for it. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor James. I hope you enjoyed today's message. My prayer is that you would always experience all that God has for you. New Franklin Assembly exists to advance God's kingdom, to encourage God's people, and to serve our community. If you're in the Chambersburg area, we would love to have you join us for a live service. For more information, please visit our website at www.newfranklinag.org. Thank you. God bless.